Welcome to season three of Maritime Software Hub, the People Podcast. My name is Callum Beaumont, the founder of Cordell Beaumont, which is the digital shipping recruitment agency that powers the show. Um, today, I'm really excited to be joined by Nick Chubb. Um, he's the founder of Thetius, um, a very, very kind of uh, well-known um, research advisory business, specifically in the maritime technology space. Um, I'm a big fan of, of all their kind of reports and analytics, uh, and generally they're kind of just, just press that goes on in, in, in the market with updates. Um, so this discussion, we're going to dive into a next view of the industry trends, um, perhaps in 2023, and also looking now into 2024. Uh, in particular, we're going to have a look at the EU ETS um, that's happening now, and also what how businesses are kind of preparing to um, do the, provide their reports and their analytics around the carbon emissions. Um, we're going to have a look at his advice for businesses that are either thinking about going through a digital transformation or about to go through one. Um, and we're going to have a little discussion about just general um, kind of trends across the, the maritime tech space. So I hope you enjoy. Thank you again for tuning in and your support. Uh, and we look forward to talking soon. Hi, Nick. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Callum. Really appreciate you inviting me on. No, it's a pleasure. I mean, I mentioned I've met a couple of the team over the last couple of years through um, some different events. I think it might have been the Smart Maritime Network uh, venue. Yep. We, we went to and we met a few guys. So great to speak to you. Um, yeah, well, I mean, obviously, I've done a little bit of an intro, but I'd love to hear a bit more from your side, of, a bit about you and, and obviously kind of what 30s do as a business, if that's all right. Yeah, sure. So I'm the, the founder of, of Thetius. We are a research firm that exists to support maritime industry leaders working across ship operations, ports and terminals, and chartering to make better technology decisions. Um, so our kind of long-term aim is to become the research partner of choice for any kind of leader or any kind of decision maker who wants to support safer, more sustainable or more profitable maritime operations. Um, and the way that we work is that we provide um, research, access to new ideas, uh, and, and, a, and a network, peer network that, that is all geared to help them make better technology decisions quickly and, and with confidence. Well, I also noticed that you, uh, you've got a, a degree in nautical science yourself, so that must help uh, a little bit, obviously, with your kind of advisory sort of research projects and things. Yeah, so I'm, by, by trade, I'm a, I'm a seafarer. So I, I, I used to uh, be a deck officer. Um, I, I went to sea at 19, and that's kind of how I, how I started in the industry. Um, realized that I, I didn't want to do a, do a full career at sea, so came ashore after four years, uh, and then started working actually in the in the technology sector outside of maritime. And I saw all of this cool stuff going on, uh, and this is a few years ago now, but started to ask the question of why is none of this happening in the maritime sector? Uh, uh, thankfully, that's no longer the case. There's a kind of thriving maritime technology scene. Um, but but certainly for the few years before I started Thetius, I was working a lot, either working with established, very traditional maritime businesses, sort of helping them get better at using technology or working for startups and, and tech companies that were trying to launch into the maritime space and really found that there's this uh, huge gap where there's a, a huge amount of information, um, a huge amount of companies joining, joining the sector, um, quite a lot of um, confusion and misinformation about what particular technologies do and so we kind of felt that there was a, an opportunity to create a platform that unpicks all of that and makes decision making easier and that's sort of where where Thetius came about. 
No, excellent. Are you mainly speaking to kind of ship owners or do you also speak to charters, brokers and anyone kind of shipping related? Is it? Yeah, so we, we work, um, I guess, with, with three core core areas. So what we call industry operators. So that is ship owners, managers, those who are actually operating the vessel, you know, involved in the, in the technical day to day management of the vessel. Um, we also work with ports and terminals. Uh, um, and then finally, we work with with charterers and anyone involved in the kind of voyage management space. Those are the, the operators that we work with. But we work directly with technology companies as well. So they're helping them put their strategy together, um, you know, how they're going to compete in a, in a particular market, how they're going to serve their customers. And we work with investors. Uh, and finally, um, there's, you know, there's a lot of investors looking at this space, but it's a space that requires quite specialist knowledge, I, w- I would say. Mm. Um, uh, and most of our team um, uh, come from an operating background. So they've either worked on on ships, they've worked in ports, they kind of understand um, how the industry works, which just helps us put together better better research um, uh, than, than, than those who haven't got the experience. No, I really enjoy reading your reports and particularly your sort of te- the, the different technology uh, market maps and that type of thing for our recruitment point of view and kind of knowledge of the, the sector, it's really valuable. Um, so yeah, always kind of pleased to see them. And so do, do you also kind of, would you say B2C is a big part of your business or is it mainly kind of B2B in, in general? Yeah, so we're, we're, a, we're a fully you know, B2B focused um, okay. research business. So um, our, our real kind of core aim in terms of in terms of who we work with are either, you know, if we're looking at those kind of industry operators, they've, they've usually got quite large fleets um, uh, um, or that were it's a large port terminal operation and, and they're wanting to actually set what their technology strategy should be for the next three years and then be able to execute on it. And that's kind of where our research really comes into its own is, is helping you understand the big picture and then understanding what to do about it and, and kind of start the journey. Great. And, and you've got obviously a team of analysts and researchers, I imagine, kind of all keeping on top of different trends and things. And how, I mean, I probably may not have to share this if you don't want to, but how are you kind of getting your kind of information and source? Is it is it through kind of communication with clients and customers and just general market intel? Yeah, so there's, there's, there's three ways. Um, so uh, first is that we, we have developed a platform that monitors uh, media and social media. So anytime that something is announced, like a, a startup raises funds or a, um, a tech company starts working with... A, um, a shipping company um, or perhaps there's some M&A activity, a company's acquired um, or, or companies emerging. We pick that up um, through through that system. Um, we then have a team of analysts, as I say, who all have operating experience in the industry who um, uh, review that information, um, tag it up correctly. We have some AI that helps us triage it and, and helps us um, uh, um, uh, generate um, uh, um, content to, to go into our database um, and then we um, pull all of that into a, into a huge database so we're, we're actively tracking now 4,000 something like that just over 4,000 suppliers who are working in the maritime technology space um, and we have all of that accessible to clients as a, in a sort of database format the second way that we get information for that is suppliers come to us directly um, because our clients are large shipping companies, large charterers, um, large ports, terminals. Um, there's quite a lot of benefit to um, us having up-to-date information about what technology companies do, um, how they do it, and who they're working with, so that they can then be featured in our in our reports. Um, and our reports, we've grown a bit of an audience now, so our, our, our last Thetis 150 for 
2023, um, uh, I think has been seen now by something like 30,000 people. The one before that in 22 was um, 49,000 people, I think, before we before we put out the new one. So they, they get seen quite far and wide. So, so we have a lot of technology companies just come to us and, and provide us some of that data. And then the third and probably the most valuable thing that we do is that we have a rolling program of interviews with industry decision makers. So um, okay. if someone is making technology decisions um, uh, within the industry, at some point, one of our analysts will knock on the door and ask if, if they'll share an opinion. Um, and so we, we, we get to understand um, uh, really, you know, what are the decision makers thinking in terms of what keeps them up at night, who, what suppliers are they working with, who's done a good job, who's done a bad job. Um, and that helps us piecing those three data sets together helps us to build up a really clear picture of, um, of, of what works and what doesn't across the industry. That's exciting. And um, I also sort of, you recently made a bit of a post, uh, I think it was in the last year about kind of the, the focus of the business and things. So do, do you want to tell us a little bit, bit more about that and perhaps maybe about your individual role in Thetius? Yeah, sure. So, so when I started the company, um, you know, it, it was just me and a, me and a laptop, um, and we, we grew, you know, we were really lucky and very fortunate to grow through COVID and sort of came out the other side of that um, with, a, with a bit of a team in place. And I spent probably the last year, um, you know, spending nearly all of my time sort of internally looking at um, uh, the, the team, um, looking at how um, how our processes are working, all of that sort of stuff, you know, kind of running the, the day-to-day operations and, and what gave us that kind of early growth was actually me doing things like this, you know, um, having the time to be able to go on a go on a podcast or go and speak at an event or be able to write stuff that isn't just strictly going into our research. Um, and so really felt that there are other people in the business as well who are better at that day-to-day management stuff. So my, my business partner, David, has been running, um, run, running businesses for, um, you know, much longer than I have. Um, and so um, really we just kind of sat down and looked at, what are our growth plans for the next three years and how are we going to do them? How are we going to achieve it? And ultimately, um, what we decided we want to do is one is one is focus. Um, when we first started, we were quite a broad consultancy. We we're doing all sorts of different things, um, all related to maritime technology. Um, going forward, we're exclusively focusing on, on, on producing great research that, that supports decision making. Um, and then two is actually just identifying who in the business should be doing what. And I realized that I'm, I'm, I'm not the best person to be doing the day-to-day management. And so I've passed that on to David, who's become our managing director. Um, I'm, I'm moving into a, or well, I have moved now into a, into a strategy role. Um, yeah. And really my, my, um, my main focus now is what is our long-term strategy and, and how do we actually make sure that happens? And then, and then two is actually spending as much time as possible advocating for the business and, and talking about what's going on in the maritime technology sector. And, and um, ideally that will help educate the industry, um, but also give us a bit of a platform as a business too. Great. No, well, I'm really excited to see how, how that evolves. And obviously, uh, you know, I'm a big fan. I keep messaging all the time when you put some reports out and stuff. So it's really helpful for us, our, our point of view as well. Um, awesome. It's great to hear. No, you're very, very welcome. I mean, some of the companies you've featured in the last couple of years, we, we've kind of, you may have noticed we've had on the podcast and everything. And so it's nice to see the connection and they're getting recognized as well as they grow. Companies like Tiller and Tenure and, and obviously a number of others. Yeah. But um, some really interesting kind of more startup businesses that maybe aren't uh, as prominent over here in the kind of, in, I guess, Europe at, at the moment. So, yeah, good to see them being focused and, and sort of showcased. This episode is proudly sponsored by Vortexa. 
Votexa provides market-leading real-time data and advanced analytics, offering comprehensive global information on energy and freight markets, including energy flows, freight and inventories. Vortexa strives to connect and optimize energy flows by combining pioneering technology with industry expertise. If you'd like to learn more about Vortexa's innovative platform, you can visit www.vortexa.com. Um, okay, so what, what I thought we'd talk about mainly today, and we'll dive into a couple of sub- subjects, but it's predominantly about kind of the, the key um, industry trends within the maritime technology space. Obviously, it's new start of the year. We just had the EU ETS kind of regulations and everything going live. So from your point of view, I'm sure you're seeing lots of different kind of uh, key things happening at the moment. But is, is there anything that stands out as perhaps maybe if we look back at the last 12 months and think, OK, that that sort of was quite a dramatic shift last year. What do we think is going to happen this year, perhaps? Yeah, great, great question. Um, so I, I would say you've already talked, you've, you've touched on EU ETS. I, I think that's. Um, you know, through the last quarter of 23, we just saw a flurry of different product announcements. Near enough, anyone who's vaguely involved in either, um, you know, even companies that are involved in technical management, but anyone who's vaguely involved in voyage management has launched yeah. some kind of ETS product. Um, and broken ETS as well, module. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think that's, um, I think the the industry generally is actually quite good at adapting to those kinds of changes. Um, uh, you know, we if you take for example the the sulfur cut um, coming into twenty twenty, there was everyone was sort of in a bit of a panic in the last quarter of twenty nineteen, um, and then the sulfur cap came in, and it was actually a, um, almost a bit of a bit of a non event. Um, I think EU EU ETS could be similar um, in that um, the software is near enough now in place. Um, a lot of the um, authorities um, that, are, that are supposed to be collecting these charges haven't yet got themselves in a, in a situation where they've got all of their infrastructure in place. So I don't think we'll see any real impact of EU ETS, even though the, 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 the measuring, if you like, is, is happening from the 1st of January, any real impact until the latter half of the year. But I do think it marks an important shift in that this is the first time that there is any kind of market-based measure for carbon in the industry. And, and that um, is, is a big shift and something I think we'll see more of. Um, all of a sudden, decarbonisation goes from a a nice to have for your ESG reporting and your ESG goals to a, a genuine dollars and cents requirement. Um, and so all of the um, optimization te- technologies that perhaps we've seen, interestingly, in, in the last year or so, take a bit of a backseat to alternative fuels, um, I think maybe we'll we'll come to the fore a little bit because there is a you know there's a there's a genuine um, or or at least I should say a much more pronounced um, financial saving uh, um, for for reducing or improving the ton mile efficiency of a of, of a ship. Um, I think the other major one, and this is not you know there'd be no surprises here, but but we are getting to the point where there will need to be some decisions and commitments made on alternative fuels. A lot of that is outside of the industry's hands. Um, you know, we, we're really going back to um, energy majors and and land side infrastructure um, and providers in terms of what you know what what their strategy is going to be. What are they going to build? Um, uh, I don't see us getting to a point where there will be a um, a a dominant global alternative fuel. Um, I think we're going to be in a in a situation perhaps in in ten fifteen years where there is a, a, a 
multitude of fuels, including some fossil fuels, including things like um, methanol, including ammonia in, in certain trade lanes, including hydrogen and electric on, on sort of short sea and coastal routes. So as the industry sort of gears up for um, uh, what that future fuel pathway looks like, um, there's some very, very difficult decisions that need to be made in the next 12 months because that will impact what the fleet looks like in 20 years' time. So um, it's a it's a difficult I think it's going to be a difficult year for anyone um, involved in in, in in that that question. Um, then the other one that perhaps um, has been talked about a lot, so we probably don't, we don't need to spend a huge amount of time on it. But I would say, uh, personally, I don't think it's overhyped, and I think there's a lot of people now starting to say it's overhyped, and that's AI. Um, you know, 2023 was kind of the year of ChatGPT, um, and I think we're going to see more of that through 2024. Um, there will be endless talk about it and there will absolutely be AI fatigue. Um, but the way that OpenAI and Microsoft and uh, the way that partnership's put together is that they've got a genuinely transformative uh, technology and they're combining that with Microsoft's distrib- distribution. Near enough, every customer we have is is Microsoft in some way. Um, and so, um, you know, you ex- expect to see GPT of some sort in near enough every software product you use in the next 12 months. And I think that will that will change a lot of how um, uh, people behind desks operate, um, uh, operate their businesses uh, across the industry, um, which is which is kind of interesting because everyone kind of gets excited about AI having an impact on autonomous and unmanned vessels. But the real yeah. impact is going to be a short. That was going to link to my next question. I was going to say about the autonomous vessel side. Do you think the spotlight's come off a little bit on that? recently or is there still lots of investment going into um yeah advancements in that area yeah there's still a lot of investment in the space i mean all, all of the three the, oh, sorry all three of the major japanese carriers have, have put very openly in their strategies in the last um, few years that they are pursuing manned autonomy um, so kind of recognizing that there is a bit of a demographic crunch on on large vessels there just aren't enough offices and senior offices um, to crew the number of large vessels we think we're going to need over the next 20, 30 years. We're looking at how do we go, we're not, but um, a lot of ship owners are looking at how do we go from a bit like we have unmanned machinery spaces in engine rooms, how can we move to perhaps an unmanned bridge where you've still got crew on board, you've still got qualified, competent crew who can take over if needed, but things like ocean passages, um, uh, you know, I've, I've sort of Atlantic quite a few times and we, we once did it without touching the autopilot once because um, there was just no need to we didn't see any other traffic um, um, if you can take that kind of watch keeping side of it um, and the lookout side of it uh, and and make it fully autonomous and um, that actually frees up people to be able to do other things on board um, like maintaining the ship better um, uh, long term potentially that allows you to, to to reduce the crew size although that is I think some way off um, so yeah, so that that's absolutely still happening. It's just much less talked about now because um, everyone's kind of moved on to the onto onto the next big thing. But um, uh, and Japan's just kind of one example. Um, you know, all through Europe and the Nordics, um, uh, there's there's a huge amount of work going on um, uh, in the autonomy space. The UK has become a little bit of an autonomy hub, but mainly focused around around small bus vessels. Um, and the east coast of the US as well, sort of Boston, um, Massachusetts, around there, is, is is become a bit of a small vessel autonomy hub. So there's lots there's lots going on. It just um, isn't as um, isn't as talked about in in kind of maritime media at the moment. Yeah, maybe it's more talked about in regions like uh, Norway, Germany. I see quite a lot of like Kongsberg, Wattsilla, that those guys doing a, a lot more in in that area. 
Um, but also another thing I, I know you've been sort of commenting on as well is about the consolidation that's happened, especially the last sort of 12, 18 months or so. Do you think there'll be an increase in that net this year or do you think kind of it sort of might stabilise a little bit now? Yeah, I think it's it's just part of the dynamics of the industry generally. Um, it, 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 it's not, maritime is not like, and, and selling to ship owners in particular is not like other B2B industrial sectors. Um, and so oftentimes what happens is a, is a, a VC fund will come in, chuck some money behind, um, you know, a, a cool uh, tech startup um, who's, who's got a good idea and some level of product market fit, expecting to see the kind of numbers that you get in other B2B sectors and they don't materialize um, because it just takes a long time to sell into this industry. Um, you know, often this software is mi mission critical and that makes it very, very sticky. It makes it very hard to move from one piece, you know, one, one software suite to another. If you're running 20,000 crew or you're running 150 ships, um, mm. uh, you know, switching over your procurement system is a huge task and takes 18 months, two years um, and costs a lot of, a lot of money to do. So it's not something that anyone will take lightly. Therefore, uh, it's... Uh, difficult to, to kind of do the traditional VC growth path. And I think um, that's where a lot of the consolidation has come from, uh, is actually the ability to um, to grow market share by acquiring another company that has, you've got 5,000 vessels, the other company has 5,000 vessels. Um, you you acquire them or you merge together and all of a sudden you've got something with 10,000 vessels. That's that's all of a sudden quite a, um, you know, a, a, a chunky um, share of the market. Um, I think we're going to see more of that. Um, I think we're, we're we're only really at the beginning of that um, of that phase, and I think the um, the exit route for a lot of startups who want to be acquired in this space um, uh, is, is is going to be that rather than sort of going all the way up to IPO. It's a very very difficult thing to do in, in this industry. Yeah, no, it's really really interesting. When we see, I mean, it really impacts the hiring side from from recruitment perspective, obviously. Um, yeah, I made a little post about it recently about companies, employees suddenly having maybe different managers, different cultures sort of mixed together, yeah. and it can be very difficult. Um, things like promotion, it can also be great, obviously, if you've suddenly got more scope and, and, a, and a wider kind of network to, 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 to leverage and things. So, yeah, interesting. It's really yeah. difficult to make M&A um, work, um, you know, the actual integration part of it. The technological integration is, is 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 one thing, but the integration of cultures, um, uh, changes of leadership, um, um, integration of branding, all of that, um, I think, gets massively underestimated. Um, and so, I, uh, you know, a lot of um, uh, you know, kind of M and A platforms um, that that uh, come into this space, uh, I think, underestimate that. Um, and uh, a lot of the synergies that they think they're going to get don't actually materialize. So it's it's not always the best way to, to grow, um, but it's definitely the fastest way to grow in, in, in this market. Cool. Okay, so um, another little area to talk about, if any companies or, or just in general when, when you're speaking to clients um, and they're looking at trying to digitalize their systems, is, is there a sort of a, a rough, I know it's a very big subject, lots of variables, but any type of, rough advice you might be able to give to companies that are trying to digitize some of their kind of vessel operation systems or any specific type of systems? Yeah, I, I think a lot of the time uh, companies get swept up in the, in, in the narrative of 
this technology is really exciting. Um, you know, we should we should therefore pursue it, or, or you know, our competitors have have gone for another technology, and we should look at that. Um, and I think the most important thing to do before even thinking about your digital strategy is just making sure the organisation has an overall strategy um, uh, and a very clear direction of of you know where you're going for the next three to five years. Um, then you can look at how to use technology to support that strategy. Um, I think very often we get excited by the technology and then try and um, sort of uh, shoehorn it into a um, or, or sort of build a strategy around it. And that, that doesn't necessarily work. So have an overall technology agnostic strategy and a very clear direction for the organization and then look at the look at the technology underneath it. I think that that makes a lot more sense. And then when you're looking at that technology, um, I would kind of split it into two two key questions um, that you want to be asking yourselves that really get answered by that overall direction you're taking. The, the first question is, do we want to be on the on the cutting edge of this technology or do we want to be a fast follower? Um, and then the second question is, do we want to build this technology in-house or do we want to just buy it from someone? And I think depending on the answers to those questions, um, you can... Uh, um, you can then kind of set a strategy for how you're going to go about it. So if you, if you take AI, for example, um, if you want to be on the cutting edge and you want to build it, then actually what you need to do is just look at how you're going to build a team. You know, that becomes a question of who, not how. Um, and, and how do you make sure you've got the right leadership with the right knowledge and skills to be able to, to execute on that strategy? How are you going to build out the right um, competencies and build out a team with enough, enough horsepower to be able to, um, you know, build out some kind of um, AI um, capability. If you want to buy that, then you need to know, well, who are the vendors in the market that are actually at the cutting edge uh, and, um, and, and and how can you approach working with them? Similarly, if you want to be a fast follower, you need to have a good understanding of what your competitors are doing, what technologies are out there um, and who they're working with to get those kind of results. So your strategy really depends on, and you can have that kind of question, you can ask those questions over and over again for lots of different technologies, looking at how they fit into your overall strategy. Um, and that can kind of give you an, an understanding of where you need to put resources. Is it into your people? Is it into partnerships with vendors? In, in reality, it's some combination of both. But, but how, you, how much you pull each of those levers um, will depend on, on, on that kind of getting that first pillar right, which is the overall strategy. And who are the people that typically decide that strategy? Is it is it main, are you mainly speaking to stakeholders like CEOs, the C suite, or, or other types of uh, individuals? Yeah, so obviously it does vary from organisation to organisation. But I would say something as important as, as as digital technology really needs to be needs needs to come from the from the top. Um, and so obviously the overall strategy should come from the top. But you know we spend a lot of our time speaking with CEOs, CTOs, CIOs. Um, to really get an understanding of where the organization's going from a from a technological standpoint um but i would say you know just in terms of you know, general advice um when we go out and and um, speak to our, our clients we often find a huge disconnect and a huge gulf between what the c-suite believe is happening and then what the people on the ground are actually doing um or the experience that the team on the ground actually has um and so i do think it's important to um uh, bring in a, a wide range of voices from across an organization when you're looking at those those sorts of questions but at some point someone's got to make a decision on where you're going um, and that requires you know total buy-in um, uh, um, from the top do you see many on the client side let's say from ship owner or ship operators um, 
hiring internal kind of like app support managers or implementation managers that is that growing um from what you can see from your side i know we are seeing a bit from our side but uh just wondered from your perspective yeah it kind of used to be you know there used to be an it department and then and, and and that was really you know has everyone got a computer you know my keyboard's broken um you know kind of getting that all that kind of very basic infrastructure in place for people um and then it kind of became about you know, sort of building out server capabilities and all that sort of stuff, but still very focused on infrastructure. And then, you know, someone came along and said, well, maybe we should have digital transformation teams who are much more outward looking, future looking. Um, uh, that all became quite, um, uh, you know, popular over the last few years, but it's, it's really kind of died off, I would say, in favour of um, um, a, a, a kind of technology and digital team that has, some combination of the right infrastructure, although a lot of it's you know moving out to the cloud. Um, uh, but then also teams that perhaps can do things like rapid API development. Uh, you know, the, there there was a um, I would say the thinking has evolved from we should have a supplier that will do everything for us. So for example, all our technical management. Um, increasingly, so many startups have come onto the scene that, that have good products that now it's a case of we need to have a platform that might be our our ERP, but then actually what are the kind of best in class solutions that we can um, tie into that? And, uh, you know, therefore having a, a team that understands how APIs work um, or um, perhaps operations team, mem team members that understand enough about technology to be able to use low code and no code tools. We're starting to see that kind of, that kind of shift, um, uh, which is quite exciting because I think it, um, it, it, it creates a lot of opportunity for for innovation within a you know even within a, a very large complex shipping company yeah it's interesting and what type of backgrounds do you think those people might have that are kind of in those uh, roles internally do you think it's a good question um we still see a huge number of um you know master mariner chief officer chief engineers who've kind of moved ashore um, often gone into superintendency or something like that, and then really more by interest than, than formal training have moved over to, to the digital side. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, personally, I, I'd love to see um, uh, someone, uh, you know, create like a sort of coding boot camp for, um, you know, for seafarers or, or people with in-depth industry expertise, because I think there's a huge amount of untapped potential that we have across the industry just through a lack of, the right kind of digital uh, digital talent or digital skills. Um, but equally, um, you know, in, in, we, we see a lot of people who come from a, you know, a, I guess a more sort of traditional, if you like, IT background, and they come from another large industrial sector or um, an enterprise IT department and sort of been parachuted into, into shipping. Um, and it's always interesting to hear, um, you know, the, the difference between someone who's come from the, the IT background or, or the shipping background. Ultimate earnings are going to do to have a bit of both in there. Yeah, especially and kind of from the SaaS background as well. If, if it's a SaaS sort of model, where it might be slightly more Americanized, and they're used to different sales methodologies, that type of thing. Um, we we see a lot of people kind of go into roles that are either from traditional maritime, and sometimes there's a bit of a mis of a misalignment. If in particular they've been kind of uh, they've got that backing from a, a VC type of thing, and it may not be the, quite the right fit. Um, so it's interesting to learn a bit about who is behind the company when you when you join uh, businesses and things, understand the culture. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting point. And I think that's something, 
know, if you're looking at joining a maritime tech company is, is to look at, yes, you're right, not, not just the founding team, although I think that's important. And I would say, um, I think there are a lot of founders who've come into the industry cold and done well. So it's not necessarily an indicator, but I would say um, those founders who come into the industry with, um, you know, a decade, two decades of, of, of in-depth operating experience, I think tend to do better. Um, or at least there's perhaps less risk there. Um, and then also the, the investors um, who are involved as well. Uh, I, I think where, where you've got, um, I get you call it smart capital, I guess, but, but effectively the, the, the solution has been backed in some way by um, industry operators who are owning ships, operating ships, owning and operating ports, chartering ships, whatever it may be, um, I think is a really strong indicator that there's something really good there because um, generally speaking, you know, the, this, this industry is not a silly industry. If something doesn't work, um, it won't be used. Um, uh, and and those investors who, who, are, who are actually in the arena, if you like, understand that really well. Um, and so that's a, it's, a, it's a helpful indicator of what's, um, what, what's good and what's not. Yeah, awesome. All right. Well, just to sort of wrap things up a little bit, just just a quick question. If say if someone was thinking about perhaps either joining your team or or just generally interested in, in, in kind of pursuing a career within kind of research and kind of advisory, what are some of the kind of the key kind of traits they might need and, and uh, key skills, would you say? That's a really good question. Um... I, mean, I guess for, you know, first point to say is that we're, we're currently hiring um, and we're, we're generally always on the lookout for talented people. So if you are interested in joining Thetius, um, uh, give myself or, or another member of the team a, a shout. Um, we do publish when we're hiring on our on our website as well. So um, I think we've got a couple of active roles at the moment. Um, I'd say the number one trait, if you want to, if you want to work in research, research specifically, the most important trait um I would I would say is curiosity. I wouldn't I wouldn't say necessarily that there are skills that anyone hard skills that anyone um, should um, uh, you know come in with. Um, uh, I think it, it helps if someone you know has a has a um, enjoys and and has 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 done some writing um, because often you know nine times out of ten what we're producing is written communication. Um, uh, but. I would say everything near enough. It also helps to have a bit of industry experience or at least sort of demonstrable interest in the industry. Um, but I would say um, the most important trait is, is, is curiosity. Um, I think if you can um, uh, ask that question of why, you know, not just once or twice, but three, four or five times to really sort of get to the bottom of an issue um, and, and look at things in a, in a very dispassionate way, but always be trying to get down to the next, next level um, uh, of, of understanding, then, um, you're, you're, you're going to do well in a, in a, in a research role. Um, and I would say, you know, two, two other things. One is, and this is just helpful advice, I think, for anyone, and it's really hard to do. And the kind of the, the further you go in your career, the more you realise that um, it's very, very rare to find people who do actually do this, but just do the things you say you're going to do um, when you say you're going to do them. And this is something I'm, you know, I'm happy to admit I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at. Um, uh, that is a genuine, genuine superpower for your for your career. If you say you're going to do something by a certain time and that it gets done, um, then over time people will trust you more and more and more, and you'll be handed more and more responsibility. Um, I, I think that's um, super important. And then this is a, an industry that that you know long long term um, long term thinking is is really helpful. So I would say 
you know just be very very honest even when it costs you in the in the short term we've run research project projects in the past where um you know we've had to go in and give a leadership team answers or insight that they really didn't want um you know and often uh, there's a perception of research firms coming in and, and being used to um effectively rubber stamp the the ceo's strategy um often you know we, we've 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 come in and and said to clients, actually, we, we really don't think you should pursue this, um, well, you know, whatever whatever this may be, um, which in the short term, um, you know, maybe costs you because you because you lose out on all the all the extra you know potential work to actually help with with implementing mm. something, but in the long term, I think that's you know, that, that's ha- how you um, uh, can can build a strong reputation, and that's certainly something that that we're trying to do. So, um, e- even if it's uncomfortable or or if it's going to cost you in the short term, just always. Um, you know, be honest and give the answers that, that you genuinely believe are true. No, I, I completely agree. And you guys have an awesome kind of uh, name in, in our space. And I know we're kind of both in the same arenas, which is really interesting. Um, so, well, I, I really appreciate all your time and, and, and the, the insights you've shared. One last question I'd like to ask everyone before they leave. Um, any Anything you'd like to do in particular in your spare time as far as like hobbies, that type of thing? Yeah, I mean, I, ha- I have a I have an eighteen month old daughter, um, so so between her and running a business, there's not a huge yeah. amount of time left over. But I do um, uh, when when I do get the time, I I, I fly paragliders, um, uh, which is something oh. I started learning a few years Amazing. ago. Um, really, really good fun, and a great way to you have to really concentrate on it because uh, the stakes can be quite high so it's a really great way to kind of just get yeah. get yourself totally out of your own head not think about work not think about anything else just think about what's in front of you um and um yeah i absolutely recommend it as a hobby to um to anyone who's vaguely interested in in, in flying it's it's awesome fantastic yeah we live quite near i think i mentioned earlier it's a, a headcorner aerodrome um and oh, okay uh, yeah, so, yeah. so we see quite a quite a lot of the paragliders and and the little sort of uh, pilots and things flying around our, above our house quite regularly <laughs> so Never done it. I've done skydiving, but I've never done that before. So that's, that's pretty awesome. It's um, I, I would definitely recommend. And, and actually, around you, there's there's lots of you know the South Downs. Yeah, it's not 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 too far to drive. Lots of amazing um, spots there. Great. Okay, cool. And, and and for the best way, if anyone wants to reach out to you and the Theseus team about any questions at all, what was the best way for them to do so? Um. So if you want to know what we're doing and, and kind of keep keep up with us, um, if you go to our website, theseus.com, at some point, there'll either be a pop-up or a button to push or something, you'll be invited to subscribe to our newsletter. We send a, a, a brief technology brief out every Tuesday um, uh, that people um, uh, often reply to saying they, they really enjoy. So I would absolutely recommend that, even if you're just vaguely interested in the maritime technology space. Um, we also have a ton of free research. We, we make... Um, a huge I, I i can't can't tell you the actual numbers off the top of my head but a huge amount of research that we do every year we just make freely available for people um so so by all means have a poke around have a read um you can download um huge library of reports for free um we also have a free version of Thetis iq which is our, our kind of core intelligence platform um by all means i'm fairly active on linkedin so by all means look me up on linkedin i'm just nick chubb um uh, or Nick Chubb from from Thetius. I'm horrible with LinkedIn Messenger though, um, so um, apologies if I don't get back to you straight away. Um, but the best thing to do if you want to reach out to me directly is uh, just email Nick N I C K at Thetius.com. Great. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much again, and yeah, really appreciate all your your yeah insights and, and advice. So um, yeah, thanks for your time. We'll catch up soon. 
thanks, Callum. Really appreciate the invite to come on. You're very welcome.